so Josh, if you wouldn't mind opening us in prayer, we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful week and a beautiful Lord's Day. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together this morning and, and the lesson that we got to hear this morning. Father, give us open hearts and open minds. Father, help us to recognize that we have been forgiven for much and to be grateful for that forgiveness. Father, I pray that you'll be with Dean this morning as he delivers a lesson. Father, I pray that you'll speak through him and let the Spirit fill this room and fill our hearts. Thank you for Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Father, help us to remember that every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. Uh, so today we are wrapping up the study we've done of this tiny little book that I think is power-packed, uh, the book of Philemon, just one chapter. Um, and, and, and the way I want to think about this, we, we've kind of titled it, Let the Truth Be Lived, off the Matthew West song, Let the Truth Be Told. And we know this to be true, but it feels like every day of our lives presents a challenge for us, for what we say in here, to live out there. Does that make sense? It's very, uh, uh, fits beautifully with what David preached this morning for us. Um, I, I was reminded uh, a few years ago of all places uh, on a softball field of this reality. Um, it's funny on that, at that time, um, looking at the Millers, uh, Jason and I played together on the softball team. Here's what was funny. We were at Woodmont Hills at the time. We were playing for the Woodmont Hills softball team that was captained by Jimmy Smith of the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ, and the vast majority of the players did not go to Woodmont. So it was just a, it was one of those things. It wasn't a bunch of ringers, if you were thinking about that. It was just a bunch of us that wanted to play, and Jimmy was the only one that would do the, uh, you know, setting people up and doing the batting order and all that stuff. But, but remember, this is the important thing. It was a church league, okay? Do you get this? It was a church league softball. And I remember one particular game. Look, guys are out there playing and stuff gets heated, right? It just happens in sports sometimes. And so, again, church league softball. And there was just a little tension between our team and another, you know, uh, fellow brothers in Christ on a different church and kind of went back and forth. And, and to his great credit, I don't even remember what, what teammate it was, but one of our teammates um, – went up after the game and uh and said okay i'm just gonna do the christian thing and he's gonna apologize and he did he went up to the other guy from the other church the church i will not mention and uh, he apologized and i kid you not i remember this he said no i will not forgive you this is church softball no i will not forgive you he walked off now again i'm not throwing rocks because we've all had moments we haven't been at our best but it was just incredibly ironic to me because especially the church where he went to I am quite certain that sometime in the last week or two, he had prayed out loud with other believers the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember a particular line in that? Forgive us our sins, what? As we forgive those who have sinned against us. So again, he prayed it. Again, I'm not picking on it because I, I, I'm the same way in my life sometimes. But the distance between what we say and pray in here and how we live out there can sometimes be be a long way. And that's why Paul is writing this letter to us because he wants to take the power of the theology of the good news and the rescue of Jesus, we heard that again this morning, and put it on the pages of everyday life. Uh, and so here's a, a quick kind of summary because um, um, a couple weeks ago was the last time I taught and we, we really focused on, you can put that uh, visual up, Lori, if you're there. I, I try to make a little uh, picture of this. I don't know if we can even see that. Uh, I need to make stuff bigger here. 
But I, I try to kind of think this out visually. The power of this one verse, we get nothing else from this chapter. It's a kind of review before we get to where we are today. I want you to unpack just the power of this one particular verse in verse 6, where it says three things move, three things happen. By the grace of God, we have this koinonia, which I think I spelled wrong. Um, we have this koinonia, which is, remember we talked about before, sharing together in common what we have in Christ. That's what that word koinonia, we translate it fellowship, but it's what we, what we have to get. We already are given this through the gospel of Jesus, forgiveness and grace and belonging and purpose and meaning and community, all of those things. By the grace of God, we have that. Now, the letter is written of Philemon for that middle thing there. He says, I, I'm praying that the sharing of faith that you have will become operational, he says. It can be operational action. And, and if you've been with us, um, you know that that's a very specific operational action he's calling him to, which is to receive back Onesimus, a slave who has run away, and he's coming back home, Paul's sending him. So Paul is praying that the sharing together of their faith that they have in Christ will become effective, operational, active in the work that he does. And what he's excited about is when that happens, he says, you will come to a fuller knowledge, and this is an experiential knowledge work of what we have in Christ. So faith lives out. And by the way, God's grace is working in every one of those movements. We don't initiate anything. God's already given us the koinonia, the unity that we have in the spirit. God gave that by the work of his gospel. God, it says in Philippians 2, uh, works in us to will and to act according to God's good purpose. The operational thing comes by the grace of God as well. And then Paul literally prays in Ephesians that we could come to know the depths and the riches and the wonder of the love of God we already have. God is, he's not, okay, I'm going to get you started and then I'm going to step back and you do it. No, this is this beautiful interactive dance. So I hope you see this picture and, and maybe say of, of, of all the things we hold on to the, in this book, can we think about this? There is an experiential knowledge, a taste of the gift that we have of God in Christ that will only happen if we go to the middle circle there and make it operational. By the power of God, we wake up in the morning, we come and gather here and say, all right, God, would you take the, the gift you've already given me and make it come to life? Make the battle station come to life, so to speak, right? So you Star Wars fans. Let this battle station of the human spirit against the evil one in the world become operational in our lives today. And there will be an experience that we would not have otherwise. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means I don't want to miss out on the power of God coming in everyday life. So that, that's kind of the centerpiece of this letter. Uh, and then we talked about last week how when, One uh, when Paul sends Onesimus, part of what he's trying to do is for the gospel to really change everybody involved in the story. That's pretty cool. We talked about this last time. Paul is changed by the gospel, right? So again, this quick review. Paul said, I'm writing to you not as a great apostle, not as a guy who has it all together. He says, I'm writing to you as an old man and as a prisoner. And, and you get the sense that in the past, Paul would have come down with this hammer. Uh, we heard that this morning, right? That old man that Paul was would have come with all of the force and the venom and the vigor to get him to do what Paul already knew was the right thing to do. That was the old Paul. Paul has been changed. He said, I'm coming to you as an older, wiser, more experienced man in the gospel. I'm coming to you as a prisoner for Jesus. He's the one in charge. I'm taking a lower step and I'm, I'm humbly coming to you, right? He's changed. 
Then we ended last time by looking at how Philemon changed. Let me remind you of that. It's really powerful. And then we'll dive into the last part of it and hear from you. Um, oh, actually, I don't think we did talk about that. So let's, let's look. Let's pick up there. Um, why don't you look at verse 7. Watch the flow of what happens here. Um, in verse 7, Philemon, I would say chapter 1 is one chapter. Your love, Philemon, Paul says, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. All right, take in that language for a moment. He says, Philemon, this is what you've always been in the past. Again, we talked about this before. Paul doesn't come by tearing him down. He comes by building him up, by, by working off the strengths that were already there. He said, I've heard about your faith. We talked about that a lot last time. Heard about your faith. I want to build on that and I take the next step. And this is what he says. The language here, by the way, it's one little chapter, but it is power packed. He says, Philemon, this is who you've been to me in the past. You have been one who is a refresher of hearts. Take that in for a moment. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, again, I'm just trying to finish what we did last time. Otherwise, we'll just throw this out and talk. But you can, well, I'm opening it up in a minute. But so first movement, he's the refresher of hearts. Um, now, what is he asking him to do? By the end of the, of the, uh, the letter, this is what he says. Um, I prefer appeal to you, brother, with my heart back to you. Where is that? Now I'm stopping writing my stuff in here. But he sends him back, he says, so that you might refresh the hearts of your people. Do you, do you guys see where that is? Verse what? Somebody say it out. Yeah, that's where it says, yeah, you have refreshed. But then he asked him to refresh his heart again. Man, these are all these in my notes. Verse 20. Thank you. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you of the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. All right, so watch this really powerful what he does. So at the beginning, he says, you have been a heart refresher. Now he's writing the letter in the center of the circle. One way he says that is he says, I'm asking you to refresh my heart again. Now here's the beauty if you follow the flow. How did he describe Onesimus earlier in the letter? Do you, have you heard this? Do you remember this? Go look, look early in the letter. How does he describe Onesimus? Here's Onesimus, my buddy, my brother. What does he say? He was my son while in chains. Beautiful. Paul pulls in this family thing. This isn't just an apostle thing. What, how else does he describe him? Say again. Onesimus has refreshed the hearts of the saints. And then Josh, you are my very heart. Listen to this. Did you see this? He says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, who, by the way, is my very heart. Like just for a second before you, you, you know, it's already popping probably for you, but, but notice how he is describing this formerly useless runaway slave. He says, this guy who was property in your community has become my very heart. Paul says, I'm so identifying with him. I'm so connected to him. And again, this is not throwaway language. Go read the book of Romans. We are members of each other. We're together in the body of Christ. Now, follow the logic. Paul says, who have you been in the past, Philemon? You've been one who refreshes hearts. Who is my heart right now? 
Onesimus. Now, what is he saying when he says, here's what I'm asking you to do. Refresh my heart. Is he just talking generally? No, here's my heart. I'm giving it to you. It's this guy. Now refresh him. Isn't this cool? Again, he does it for Onesimus. In the last, I mean, the last lesson we saw, Onesimus, his name means useful. He has not been that way, at least in the eyes of the people in his community. He was just an object or tool. Paul says, this wordplay is going throughout the book. Paul says, he's become incredibly useful to me. He's a partner in the gospel, and I'm sending him back to you to be useful. So Paul already does that. So think about this. Number one, Paul has been changed. Number two, Onesimus reclaims his identity. He was born useful. He becomes a slave. Paul discovers him. God discovers him in the gospel. He makes him useful again and sends him back. So Onesimus has changed. But here's the cool thing. In the letter, the guy doing the work, who's supposed to be the one serving and helping, listen, he has changed too. He becomes himself again. You've been a refresher of hearts. Here's my heart. Now here's your opportunity not to just kind of rest on what has been. I want you to be what you already are, a heart refresher. So, so we end with this. Here's the cool thing I, I realized. Again, Paul has so much going on. The Holy Spirit is putting so much into these words. Do you know where the, this, this word that is used for refreshing is much more common uh, for us to know in a totally different setting? So here's a way to think about it. Paul is inviting Philemon not only to become himself again, he's literally inviting him to become like Jesus. Maybe you've heard this verse before. And I'll translate it so you know the words popping in. Jesus gave an invitation that means a whole lot to a lot of us, right? This is what he says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you refreshing. Same word. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Refreshment, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. The reason Jesus came was to refresh the hearts and the souls and the lives of the people in this broken world. Philemon, Paul says, you're like Jesus. Why? Because when people have come to you, you've refreshed their hearts. You've brought them by the power of the Holy Spirit into a place of rest. Now he brings it full circle and says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you to do something different. No, to be what you already have been and what Jesus has been modeling for us all along. Isn't this cool? Like Paul does this throughout the book. It's just packed with these Holy Spirit-inspired poetic nuggets that just take us to the place where our faith becomes operational. It's a beautiful picture. So stepping back, here's the big picture. In this letter, every single person gets changed by the power of the gospel. The person we think is the needy one, the slave, he's changed, yes, he reclaims his name. But not just him, Paul is changed in the way he interacts with the church, and Philemon becomes himself again. Isn't that beautiful? Any thoughts on that at all before we uh, move forward into the last part of the gospel? I mean, the, the letter. Trying to brush past that. Yes. Oh, one second. A mic's coming to you. We all want to hear. I mean, I do. I haven't been here for all of the weeks that we've, we've talked about this, but um, it occurs to me that much a lion's den. Um, yes. And the thing is, um, Paul pretty much did the same thing. Yes. Uh, from, from sermon one. Yep. 
when, um, when Paul goes to, uh, you know, among the apostles, they're all kind of standing back going, <laughs> you better believe that. I don't know whether to jump you and beat the stuffing out of you or <laughs> run. Right. I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And um, Philemon walks in with this letter and um, uh, the slave owner and the, uh, uh, the other people in the community yes. don't know what to do. Yep. They don't know whether they should, you know, flog him or hug right. him or get yes. the letter first or what. They yeah. have no idea what to do. But I think it's really interesting that um, uh, Paul is sending Philemon into this similar environment, something that he experienced himself. Yes. And, and understanding that God is going to be with him. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. So well said. Several things in that. First of all, it does absolutely reinforce some of the things we talked about before. This is not a very tame situation where, oh, it's nice and take him back and have a potluck dinner. I mean, this is revolutionary stuff that Paul is inviting Philemon and the church to do to take this guy who's broken the law, who is undercutting the social fabric of their society and to receive him back. So he's not just sending Onesimus into the fire, he's sending Philemon into the fire as you're saying, yes, to take this on is inviting all of them. Maybe in fact, again, I love having you in here and talking, John, because maybe all the more why Paul keeps reinforcing he's a prisoner for the gospel, prisoner for the gospel. I'm already here. I'm inviting you to do something I've already done, which is lay it on, on the line for the sake of the gospel. And he'll do that again in the, in the text we, just, we get to in a minute. So thank you. Absolutely beautiful. All right, well, let's read on. If you have other things, please throw them in here. But let's, uh, let's read the rest of the letter. And as always, I've got a few things to share. But um, what do you see or notice about how the gospel of Jesus has this story that we sing and we pray about comes alive in everyday human life, that we kind of bring it into the dirt of the, of the softball fields of life. What do you notice? Anything at all here? So Paul finally gets to the ask in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, which he didn't very much. Uh, he dictated his letters most of the time. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> There's got to be a little um, truth-telling in there. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And then the closing um, credits almost. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner... In Christ Jesus sends you greetings, and also do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Let me read it one more time. What do you all notice? Let's, let's experience it together and uh, reflect a little bit. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, 
And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. What do you notice? Um, I'm just reminded how beautiful um, God is in this story because he takes the discriminator, Saul, Paul, and shows the exact opposite, that the gospel does not discriminate. And he uses the discriminator <laughs> to show that picture so clearly. Yes, what a powerful observation. Thank you. And again, wasn't it so beautiful how the Holy Spirit just coordinated the message to the, that we get? Because I don't know if I would have thought about that. You might have. I wouldn't. I don't know. I would have thought about it without the message earlier today. Yes, yes. And don't you think after the pain, because Paul, like as David brought out, Paul never forgot the pain of his failure. Never forgot it. He didn't shame himself. He didn't beat himself up about it. But he never forgot it and let it go. But I wonder if that fueled it all the more. You know, because listen, he's, I picture this. I'm sending my heart back to you. I'm writing it with my own hand. I can't even wait for the person to dictate it. I'm putting everything into me. Why? Because he's been on the other side of this. Thank you, Emily. Yes. And so now, man, I want to step into the gap for him and not be the one pushing somebody away. That's beautifully said. Thank you. That's why we need each other to share this. I wouldn't have said that without you. What else? What do you notice? Anything at all? Word, phrase, what Paul's doing, how he does it. I don't know. There's a part of me that says verse 21 is a little tongue-in-cheek. Okay, talk to me. What do you mean? Um, I think Paul knows. Um, he knows about slave owners. He knows what slavery. He knows what, uh, and he knows the offense that uh, that uh, uh, Philemon is is uh, guilty of. Um, Kind of like, I know you're going to do this, right? <laughs> yes. I know you're going to do this. It's the, it's the right thing to do. Kind of like, um, I know you don't want to. Uh, I know that this, you, there's a lot of anger in there, mm -hmm. a lot of resentment. And quite honestly, the law is on your side. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. But um, I know you're going to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, he follows it up with a um, prepare a room for me. I'm it, going to be there. Right. Yeah, what do you make, do? You know, just to make sure. Yeah, that's right. By the way, I'm coming. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't know how to take that exactly, but, yeah. uh, you know, um, I think it's one of those things where, I, in my mind, I see, a, you know, either Onesimus or somebody else, you know, snatching it away from him and reading it. Yep, yep. And then kind of taking a real deep sigh after mm. reading it. Yes, yes. <laughs> And, and this is, remember, Paul, Paul's a brilliant guy, right? And this is one of the things, it's not about Paul. It's about what God uses, whatever gifts we bring that God's already given to us anyway. I mean, remember, grace is driving all this. Paul is a brilliant rhetorician. We find this in other letters that he's written. Paul knows how to turn a phrase. Paul knows how to work stuff. Now, I know when I first encountered the book of Philemon, my first reaction is Paul is manipulative as heck. <laughs> a little passive-aggressive maybe. But again, that's why it's so important to read this through what Emily just reminded us of. Here's the thing. When you have been liberated, 
you become a passionate liberator. When you have stared your own brokenness and failure and, and wretchedness in the faith, face and God pulls you up, you become unbelievably passionate and grateful to share that with other people. So it is a way to read it that Paul's really being manipulated here. Or the way I see it now in light of what Emily has just said is God has so profoundly rescued him that he says, give me whatever, whatever I have to bring to bear to set this one guy free. Again, this is what I love about this so much. We get an entire book of the Bible for one dude. And Paul says it's worth it. God, the Holy Spirit, says it's one guy is worth it. And so Paul says, I've got rhetoric, I'll use it. I've got money, I'll use it. I've got influence, I'll use it. I've got a relationship with you in the past, I'm going to leverage it. Not to manipulate, I think Paul is passionate because he has been set free, he's going to do it for somebody else. When you've been liberated, you liberate. So I choose to read it this way, and again, he's fallen broken, there may be some of those pieces still there, but, but I choose this to, one, one of the language I use when, when I have an opportunity to coach leaders is can we learn to call people up and not out? What's the difference? I call people out when it's, I'm in it for me, it's about me, it's my agenda and my vision, and I'm going to kind of tear somebody down or make myself feel better. Calling somebody up means I'm for you, and I'm so, I am so invested in your best that I'm going to go against my own nature, which is to, to challenge somebody. It's not my nature to be a challenger, but I, I'm so passionate about your good then I'm going to call you up to something higher than you already are. And that's what I see Paul doing here. By the gift of God, God has called him up to a higher place, and now he's doing it for Philemon, who's a minister, hopefully soon to be former slave over and all that. He calls him up. So I love that, John. I appreciate you unpacking that. And, and again, Emily, we needed your perspective. Otherwise, it's really easy to just kind of write this guy into the southern passive-aggressive manipulating dude. I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's so liberated by the gospel of Jesus. He's passionate. And the Holy Spirit says that's worth a, a book of the Bible. I'm grateful. Other thoughts? <clears throat> Other things that you see in here? Uh, you know, uh, Dean, in verse 18, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for him. But it's also a reminder of what Jesus does for us. Yes. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Yes. 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 Isn't that great? And again, I, I, I'm already forgetting, it might have been you, John, but um, somebody brought this up. Isn't it great? Paul is doing what Jesus does here. Jesus does it perfectly and all the time. Paul doesn't. But here, here's what I love about Jesus. Let's just start with the guy who does it right. Jesus never, ever asked us to do something he didn't already do himself. What does he say? Come and die. Well, I already did it. Put other people before yourself. <clears throat> already did it. Surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit to drive the purpose of your life. Already did it. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't already do. And here's what Paul is doing, which I think is so powerful. He said, I'm calling you up, but by the way, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So remember the dirt, practical, softball field reality of this letter. The reality is, is that what Paul is asking will cost Philemon dearly. Right? Because, and you know, just look back at the old South. Thank God we're... we're, we're moved out of that or I'm still moving out of that 
but the, the, the economy of the South was based on slavery. That was true of the Roman world, too. The economy of Philemon's household was in part based on slavery. So he lost in the deal when Onesimus left. It's costing him financially. And Paul says, if it costs you, liberation is so important to me, freedom is so important to me, the gospel is so important to me, if it costs you, it'll cost me, and I'm willing to pony up. It cost him, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it'll probably cost him socially as well. Because people will be looking at him, hey man, what are you doing? Are you better than us? Are you turning up the economy upside down? Or are you going to be one of the, just think about, about uh, folks who were willing, um, you know, a, a generation ago to stand up against, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, folks that were fighting civil rights and, and, the, and the white folks that were willing to get in the line and march and do all that stuff, they took a lot of heat. I mean, to the point of death too. And Paul says, I'm going to step in there with you. So powerful. Thank you for bringing that one out. So powerful, Keith. Paul is modeling the very thing he is willing to do. It was, it's costly to follow the gospel of Jesus, right? But it goes all the way up the chain. Everything that happens, do you see how this tiny little, very practical letter all points back to the one who's driving it all in Jesus? This is a beautiful depiction in practical everyday life of the fact that it cost Jesus, um, it may cost Philemon. Paul says, okay, I'll bear the cost with you. Other thoughts? That was beautiful, Keith. Thank you. Powerful word he starts with. What does he say? What do I want you to do with, with Onesimus? It's a very important gospel word that I sometimes overlook. He says in verse 17 what? Welcome him as you would welcome me. Welcome him as you would welcome me. So often, I, I've, I think only that the, the theology is the thing that we get, you know, get the story of Jesus right. Here's what I often forget. Hospitality, the welcoming of the stranger is literally what it is in Greek. Hospitality, bringing in someone else into the center of our lives and hearts and homes, is central to the gospel of Jesus. I'll say that again. Hospitality. How we welcome the other, whatever the other is, is central to the gospel of Jesus. We all know it from one of the most famous stories in the Bible and how it's set up. This same word, same language is set up this way. Again, all this points back to Jesus. Um, so I call your attention Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Before Luke tells the three lost stories, right? Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. This is what he says. Now the tax collectors and sinners all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, this man what? Welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you've probably heard a hundred times, if you haven't, I'll just remind you again, in the Jewish culture, to eat with someone says, you're with me. It is a deep acceptance of the other person as a human being. It may not be what they're doing. It's an acceptance of them as a human being. You're letting them in. And the attack against Jesus, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. I remember years ago someone saying this. It was so pithy. I, I hold on to it. One of the reasons they killed Jesus was who he chose to eat with. Wasn't just that he was teaching different stuff, Bible doctrine. We're used to those kind of church fights. Hear this. One of the major reasons they killed Jesus is who he chose to welcome and eat with. Hospitality is at the center of the gospel of Jesus. It became operational for Jesus 
And Paul is saying, can it become operational for you? I'm not just asking you to kind of be kind and write off the debt. Welcome him. By the way, that's part of John, what I think he's saying when he says here, don't just, you can see this going several ways. One is to enforce it and enforce the law, throw him in jail, whatever. The other is begrudgingly saying, all right. The other is, man, I know this is hard and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to make this happen, but Onesimus, my brother, come in. You need something? I got you. You want to eat in the house that used to serve? Come on in, right? That is operating the faith. Yes, Dave. Yeah, I keep having the word intimacy uh, pop into my brain, and um, I think it's popping in there for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one is um, uh, intimacy that exists here between, of course, Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. There's a there's a relationship here, and he's burning a ton of relationship capital <laughs> yes, to to bring this you know these changes about and, and really challenge uh, Philemon. Um, but there's also an intimacy here of just how aware Paul was of the social uh, fabric that he was weaving this letter into. Um, you know, he, he was aware of the slavery issue. He was aware of how that was integrated into the lives of people who were calling themselves being followers of Jesus, but still the slavery was a part of the day-to-day -day life. And so, you know, he's writing this letter. He's sending it back. It's just very ironic the way all of it is unfolding. Um, but it just, it, it, uh, it highlights in my mind for me the importance of, um, of intimacy, getting to know if we're, if we're thinking about how as followers of Jesus Christ we change the fabric of our society and we bring the kingdom into our society. Um, it's necessary for us to be, have intimate knowledge and be intimate with our society. You know, that whole be of the world, be in the world, but not of the world. Um, that's kind of that picture of being intimate with our society so that we are aware of and we rub shoulders with the brokenness right. so that we're not blind to what is going on in the lives of people that are not followers of Jesus but also we're knowledgeable of things going on in the lives of people who are followers of Jesus. And so, you know, for me, you know, really being challenged with what is still remaining in the lives of the kingdom people regarding brokenness in society, whether it's all the way back to slavery and discrimination and stuff that still exists in our society, that still exists in the hearts and minds of people who even call themselves followers of Jesus and are followers of Jesus, just as Philemon was a follower of Jesus and Paul talks with him in such loving and tender ways. Um, that intimacy of both of those things, finding a way to gain that relationship capital amongst ourselves, relationship capital with broken people in the world and being intimate of the issues that sometimes can slide underneath and around us and we become unaware of them, but God is deeply aware of all of that brokenness and it's our task. And I'm really challenged by that. Yeah. Just reading this again afresh, yes. how important those two intimacies are. That's so powerful. Thank you, David. And, and you know what I think about when you say that, it, it would be 
easier in one sense on everybody to just do, except for Onesimus, to do what they'd already done, always done. Would have been easier on Paul to at, at least said nothing, right? Just let, let the situation be. He's brought Onesimus to Christ, but he cares about the intimate relationship he has with Philemon and the church. Also, I believe the Holy Spirit is guiding him in such a way to do an enacting of the gospel that will change everything, right? But it would have been easier on Paul not to, you know, rock the boat. He's in jail, <laughs> right? He's there in prison by the powers that be, and he's doing something that's going to shake the powers that be a little bit. Would have been easy for him. What certainly would have been easier financially and otherwise, socially, for Philemon and the Colossian church to just kind of let it go as it was before. But Paul says the gospel changes everything and everybody involved. I want to take that comment just a step further as well. Not not just an intimacy with the culture itself, but the individual relationship between the two. Because when we talk about expending a lot of relational capital to make this request, it means he had to invest a significant amount of relational capital to get to that point. I think we have to be careful in the way that our society is constructed today to make sure that we're focusing on identifying and building those individual relationships that are real and have relational capital that can be spent. Because it's so easy with, with the prevalence of social media to have these digital relationships, right? Where we see the perfect picture of the other person's life and we think they're doing great when there's so much underlying pain that we don't get to see because we don't invest in that person on an individual level. And what happens is when you build that relational capital, we get to eventually have live out the responsibility we have to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ that Paul does here, where he says, I've built up this capital with you because I love you and I care about you and you've seen that. Right. Now I'm asking you to do something hard. And you have so much capital there that that, that means something. Whereas if Paul is just a guy off the street that I've heard of his name and he's a great preacher and that's awesome, you show up at my door, I don't care. That's awesome, but I'll, I can write it off. But if I know you love me and you care about me and you invested into this relationship and you ask me to do something, that's really something that matters. I know in my own life, I had men as I was growing up. I mean, my dad was a fantastic father, but I had other men who invested in me too. And so when they would come to the, to the table and say, I see this in you that needs to be corrected, think about doing something differently, man, that made an impact. Yeah. And so the question is, who are we investing in? So if we're going to live out the life of Christ, and we see that Paul followed that example, I think we have to be intentional to say, let's identify people and invest so that when this opportunity comes, that request means something. So beautifully said. And what a great way to kind of kind of wrap this up because I, I really want this to be practical for me and, and for all of us too. Again, when you see this picture up here, everybody gets changed when the power of the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to activate your faith. I'm going to take the gospel and take the things that you've been blessed in and make it live maybe just for one other person. Isn't this so cool? One guy gets changed and the entire Colossian church is transformed. Philemon, Paul and his, his pastoring of it and all. Isn't that amazing? Like one thing, when we say, here's an opportunity to serve, let's step into it. It may cost you dearly, but remember Paul, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he who, who was rich became poor for your sake. Why? So that you might become rich. There is an experience of the wonder and the blessedness of Jesus that we would not have if we don't let the Holy Spirit operate our faith. I, I end with this because it's a shout out. I've, I've mentioned it before, but now I have personal experience of it. And, and Becky, I know you, you serve in this place. It's such a beautiful work that Keith Crow does. It's 
like I, I had this in my mind that uh, the work he does with um, a halfway house here in town um, was like downtown Nashville. I was picturing, by the way, it was an hour early, which is that's kind of funny. So I showed up like, where is everybody? Um, but right, it's two blocks away. You could walk there. And Keith Crow goes there every week and brings um, the gospel of Jesus. And several of you go and participate in it. Um, and bring the gospel of Jesus to some ladies that are um, transitioning from incarceration into a new life. And he invited me, Marsha, there. You serve all the time. It's beautiful just seeing you and your heart for those ladies. But it transformed me. Like, he asked me to come and, and share. And, you know, I'm just praying, God, what, what do you want? And I actually jotted out some notes the week before um, and, and thought of, of doing um, the, the story that I just alluded to that came after of, of the prodigal son. And something told me, no, let's go a different place. I'm thinking about these ladies. So think about this story. Onesimus, who had a name and an identity, lost it. And then the gospel gives him his name back. I was thinking, here, here are ladies who now, probably in their life because of their failures and their struggles, people are saying, can you imagine the kind of things they say to them? Can you the kind of things that maybe even um, the people that work in the jail have said to them? Certainly other people, maybe even family members of their life about who they are. And so I thought, well, let's just go back to the very beginning when God gave them their identity. He looked at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and said, you're made in the image of God. And you can't, you can't take that image away. You can mar it. You can do whatever. But you're stamped to the image of God. And I'm just telling you, I, um, I didn't have to say much at all. Uh, Keith said they would talk, right? That can they do? Um, my favorite thing is we, we did the little line where, um, where it says, God says, let us make, you know, in our image. And I said, What's this, what's this us? And one of the young ladies there said, it's the Godhead. Like, what do you mean, the, the Trinity? She just unpacked it. It was like, she's our little theologian in there. I was like, this is so awesome. And to be able to sit in that room, and it wasn't me. Keith's been doing it every week. Marsha, you've been doing it. You know, Becky, you've been doing it. And, and Kimberly's there. And what the people of this church are doing is they're stepping in and they're reminding these ladies of who they are in Christ. And they get to reclaim it. And I saw it happen. There were theologians in the room. They pastored each other in the room. Like one was saying, like, I don't, my family has been horrible. My ex-husband is horrible, but this is my family now. They were doing it for each other. They didn't need me. It was so powerful. And I'm telling you, I walked out of that house different. Everybody gets changed. When the gospel isn't just something that saves us, it becomes operational and effective in everyday life. And maybe it's five people. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's somebody in the family. Maybe it's somebody that annoys you here at church. Maybe it's somebody in the community. When the faith of Jesus and what we share in common in Christ becomes operational, it changes the whole church. So, Father, that's our prayer. Would you take this little, tiny, often forgotten and ignored letter and make it active and effective and operational in my heart, in the hearts of those in this room, and in this church? so that we might have a deeper and more full experiential knowledge of what you've already given us in the gospel of Jesus. Father, thank you so much that one person can change everything. And of course, we give the ultimate praise to the one man who changed it all for us. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. No class next week. We